Hello, and welcome to the Without Exception podcast. My name is Josiah Ott, and on this podcast, I seek to share practical content for everyday Christians. My hope is that I can help you live out your faith each day without exception. Thank you for tuning in today. Whether this is your first time or you've been listening with me since the beginning of the podcast, I appreciate you listening. Today is episode number 17, and this episode is titled, What If It's All For One? So I would venture to say that the majority of us in life want to make a difference in this world, to feel a sense of purpose. Now, some people don't care what it looks like. It doesn't have to be a big public successful thing, um, but others do want to be famous and have their name in lights. However, I think it is important to consider that it isn't necessarily God's will for all of us to directly make an impact on thousands of people. Yet, I believe we are all called to make a difference in the lives of others, perhaps even if it's only one person. Now, in this podcast, we're going to look at one of my favorite characters in the entire Bible, especially in the New Testament, and he's somebody that you may have actually never heard of before. Now, his name is Ananias, and it might be a little confusing, all right? It's, there's three different characters named Ananias in the New Testament, ironically. Uh, I've, I've personally never met somebody named Ananias, but apparently there was three in the New Testament. Now, we're not talking about the man that lied about how much money he gave to the church. The guy that said, oh, we, we sold a field and or sold a piece of property, rather, and you know it gave us this much money, but really he, he had lied and they didn't give the full amount because they wanted to look good. He's not the guy. And, and if he was one of my favorite characters in the New Testament, you might think I have a problem. No, it wasn't him. And at the end of the book of Acts, the high priest is named Ananias, and we are also not talking about him. We're talking about a third uh, guy named Ananias in the New Testament. And I wonder if you've ever heard of him. Take a minute and think if you if you if the name sounds familiar or not. And if not, uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter nine. And to begin with, this is the story of the conversion of Paul the apostle. Now, Paul was the one who wrote about a third of the New Testament. He wrote many of the letters in the New Testament. He wrote the book of Romans, for instance. If you like the book of Romans, um, he wrote a lot, a lot. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all those. Wrote the pastoral epistles. And so he was a pretty big deal in the New Testament. Paul was the main character of the second half of, of the book of Acts. He was the one that Luke really followed. And he ends up being, I think, attributed to be the most influential person in the history of Christianity, aside from Jesus Christ himself. But he began as a Pharisee that was actually deeply committed to completely getting rid of the church. He hated uh, Christians. He opposed them. And so this is the story of his conversion. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, now the way was the term uh, given to Christians at this time. They were people of the way. said whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I forgot to mention, so his name was originally Saul. He was Saul of Tarsus, and he was his salvation was such a big deal, they actually changed his name. I mean, that's 
it's a pretty awesome thing to consider. And I'm going to get probably shared another podcast episode on this later, but this is not my focus today. And verse five says, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. And then the men who were traveling with him, that's Paul, stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. So we see here that he has this awesome encounter with Jesus. He has this vision, and Jesus speaks to him and says, hey, what are you doing? Like, why are you persecuting me? And and Saul responds like, and he knows it's the Lord, but he doesn't understand. He says, who are you? And and Jesus says, it's me. It's Jesus. I'm the one that you're persecuting when you're persecuting the church. And so as a result of this experience, Paul is, he's blinded. He can't see a thing. So these guys are leading him by the hand into the city of Damascus. And again, this was the city where he was going originally because he was going to go and he had these letters. He was going to go put Christians in prison. So he goes to the same place that he originally intended to go. And then verse 10 says this, this is my, this is awesome. It says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Now, this is where we are introduced to this character that I want to focus in on today. And something that's amazing. So there's one thing that I notice here that Ananias has in common with a lot of people that were a really big deal um, throughout the, the um, Old Testament. And actually, the first... I don't know how many times I read this, I never noticed. So there was something that Ananias had in common with Abraham, with Jacob, with Moses, with Samuel, with Isaiah, all these awesome characters from the Old Testament. And it was that when God called to him, his response was, here I am. And it, and it's such a powerful thing for me to consider that there were so many different people throughout the history of Christianity, through the Old Testament with the Hebrew people, that God called and they did not have a, a humble and willing and ready spirit just to be used by God. There was people that ran from the call of God. There was people that, that opposed it completely, people that disobeyed God. I mean, think when, when God spoke to Jonah, Jonah ran away. You know, there's all these different people that, that failed the call of God, or they at least for a season they did. And when God spoke to Ananias, his response was, here I am. And what's, what's your typical response to God? I know for me that at times when I feel God is leading me to do something, I don't think my response always is, here I am, God, I'm ready to be used. Wherever you send me to go, wherever, whatever you call me to do, God, here I am ready to do your will. And I think a lot of us maybe believe that we have that attitude, but then, you know, we might consider some things that God might actually call us to do. And immediately we're like, man, Maybe not, you know, maybe I'm, I'm not here. I maybe not here. I am God send me wherever, like instead, God, could you send me to Hawaii? Like Hawaii would be a great place for you to send me. Instead, we might have these different preconceived notions of where we'd like to go and maybe things we aren't actually willing to do. But Ananias was here and he was ready. And, you know, there's this thing a lot of people do where they insert themselves into scripture. Now this at times can be good. At times it can be bad. You have to be very careful when you're just throwing your name into a verse or, or replacing a section and throwing your name in there so it speaks directly to you. Sometimes this can lead to a lot of um, bad Bible interpretation, can lead to some kind of crooked interpretation. However, I want to consider how we could insert ourselves here into verse 10 
and have this be our testimony. Verse 10, again, it was when he was introduced, and it said that now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And then the Lord spoke to him, and his response was, here I am. So you could go and say, now there was a disciple in Pennsylvania named Josiah, and when God called to him, he responded, here I am. I mean, that might not sound amazing on the surface, but what a testimony. I mean, think of how amazing that is. It's like, there's this guy, well, what do you got to say about him? Well, he's a disciple and he's here in this location and he's faithfully waiting because when God spoke to him, he said, hey, I'm, I'm here. God, I am at your service. Whatever you need, I will do it. And so be faithful where God has called you to be and be faithful with what he's called you to do right now, because you never know what time God might show up and say, hey, I, I have a special thing for you to do. And as long as you're there and you're ready and you're prepared, you can say, Lord, here I, here I am. I'm ready to be used. I'm ready for, to be at your service, no, no matter what you call me to do. But then here's the thing. So Ananias says, God, I'm ready. I'm here. And then God says, great, this is awesome. Um, here's your mission. In verse 11, he says, rise and go to the street called Straight, Straight Street. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Ouch, right? So Ananias has this, this word from God. Ananias says, God, I'm here. I'm ready to be used. And God says, great. Uh, there's this guy. He's really been no good. He's the biggest persecutor of the church. He's a huge problem. You're probably terrified that he's coming to your town. Uh, go pray for him. And I, I mean, I really like, I really appreciate the, the fact that Ananias has to kind of wrestle with this. You know, he's like, uh, you want me to pray for him? Really? Like, you realize that he's like the bad guy? He's the guy that's done all this evil. He's persecuting us. You realize that he's here on a mission and it's not a good mission. Like, God, do you realize, you know? And and I really like, I have this this empathy with, with Ananias or, or the sympathy, whichever one it is that like... I, that's hard. Personally, for me, just a, an experience from my life, I don't like to pray for people. Just to be honest with you, like I'll pray for people at home. Like if I'm at home in my in my daily time with the Lord when I'm when I'm praying, if somebody has a need and they text me and they say, "Hey, I I have a need," I, I don't always I'm not always perfect, right? But if if it comes to my mind or if I try to have it set aside, like if it's a big deal thing, I try to set it aside to make sure I pray for it during my regular time but I do not like to pray for people in person. It's actually, for whatever reason, I just don't like it. It's probably my least favorite ministry-related thing to do. I don't mind speaking. I don't mind maybe praying before a service or after a service. I don't mind serving. I don't have to be seen. I, I, I love to help. I mean, different things, but I really don't like to go and pray for people. Like if someone answers an altar call and then they, you're like, hey, can people come pray? That's that's like the worst for me. I don't know why. I mean, you know, we, and we just got back from youth camp and, um, you know, I, every now and then I, I'm good. And I like conquer my, I don't want to say fear, I guess my trouble. I don't, I don't even know what to call it, but at youth camp, actually, they said, Hey, we need some people to help pray. And I did, I went up and I prayed over a bunch of our guys from our, our church that we took down to this youth camp. And it's awesome. But like, it's really hard for me for whatever reason. So like, I go and look and I, and I think of Ananias and I'm like, 
it's hard for me to play, pray for teenagers at youth camp. It's hard for me to pray for anybody. It's hard for me to pray for friends. Like I just, I don't like to pray for people. And God speaks to Ananias and says, there's this guy and he's really not that great right now. You know, like he's this guy that's been persecuting the church, but you're going to go pray for him. And I can imagine Ananias wrestling with this saying, God, like, no way, this is crazy. And like for me, being somebody that doesn't even like praying for people in the beginning that are good, I can't imagine if God says, hey, there's this guy that's been persecuting the church. You want to go pray for him? It's not an easy thought. But here's what God says in response in verse 15. It says, the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and he was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. And that's where I'm going to close at least the reading so you and you find it later, Paul immediately, Saul, Paul, it's the same, same guy, immediately goes and proclaims in the synagogues. He goes everywhere proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he is Lord immediately. But we find here that he is converted. And I love, I've always loved that Ananias approaches him and calls him brother Saul. Like you are a member of the household of faith. Like, and, and he hadn't been baptized yet. I mean, apparently he, he apparently had some saving faith. I mean, after that encounter, I don't know how you couldn't, you know, but to think of this guy that had been a persecutor and that was this, this guy that all, probably all the church hated and was dreading and like, oh, like not Saul again. And he goes up to him and calls him brother. And I just think that is so powerful. That's always, always ministered to me. But the, something awesome is in this encounter, the church not only lost one of their greatest enemies, but they gained one of their greatest assets. If you think about it, at this time, he was the biggest threat to the church as far as we know. He would go around, he would persecute them. He was trying to throw them all in prison. I mean, he held the coats for the guys that were stoning Stephen. He was there watching Stephen die and he, and he was okay with it. And then he, he was his enemy, but then he goes and he doesn't just, you know, God could have taken him out and then he just would have been gone. But instead of just removing this great enemy, they turned him into the greatest asset for the church. He ends up going on three missionary journeys. He ends up going to, you know, much of the known world, spreading the gospel, starting churches, um, leading many people to Christ. I mean, he had this awesome ministry, but it all began when one man who's really not well known at all was willing to go and pray for him. And I, I love that God chose somebody pretty much insignificant. This is the only activity of Ananias recorded in scripture. He prayed for one person. That's all they ever did. As far as we know, I mean, I'm sure he did more than that, right? But as far as we know, that's all he did. God didn't send Peter or one of the great apostles, you know, somebody that was a big deal, somebody that had traveled personally with Jesus. He didn't send one of the original disciples uh, to, to pray for Saul. He picks this random guy that we don't know anything about. And he's described later, but um, when Paul's sharing some of his testimony as a devout man, you know, somebody that followed the law, like he was a good guy, but he's not really a big deal. Like nobody knows anything about him. Like he's, he's a guy named Ananias and he lived in Damascus and he was faithful to God. And when God called him, he said, Hey, I'm here at your service. And then God said, okay, go pray for this guy that you probably don't want to go pray for. And he obeyed. 
And I just, I'm so always so challenged by this, this section of scripture because it really shows that numbers are not the measure of success. Let me think about it. What, what if this was really only the thing that really the only thing that Ananias was put on the earth to do? Does that sound like really an awesome, successful life? He prayed for one person, like big deal. But think of who the person was that he, that he ministered to. It was Saul who became Paul. He became one of the most influential people. He, he was this awesome, awesome leader in the early church. And it all began because this one guy was willing to go pray for one person. And it, it challenges me because so often we look at people as statistics. It's so easy, especially for people in leadership and church to go and say, well, you know, how many people are you running? You know, how, how many people does your church have? How many people are in your youth group? How many people are in your young adults group? Like that's, that's like one of the first questions we ask people is like, how, how many people you got? And really that's not our measure of success. I mean, and I think of the times that Jesus turned people away. Jesus was never looking to gain numbers. He's like, Hey, um, no, I would rather have five people that are the real deal than 5,000 people that aren't, you know, that was kind of Jesus's model is he invested into 12 guys. And when he added crowds of people, sometimes he'd share something really hard, like let the dead bury their own dead. And then people are like, uh, this is really hard saying like, what in the world, Jesus? And then they left. Numbers aren't our measure of success. And if God's called you to go and have an impact on one person, it, it, it would be easy to look at your life as maybe not that significant. Like, hey, uh, I felt like I was put on the earth to make a difference and, you know, I had this purpose. And it's like, well, what if it was only to pray for one person and, and lead them to Christ and baptize them and get them started? That doesn't sound successful but look at what the end result was. I mean, this such a powerful testimony of who Paul became. And so I, I like to consider that Jesus, in, when he shared in the parable of the lost sheep in Luke uh, 15, 7, he says that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 people who don't need repentance. And I'll tell you, that is just something that I think that the church in America needs to hear. You know, we would go... And easily, easily we would go and say, oh, we had 99 people at this gathering. And I guess at least for a smaller church, that would be like, oh, this is awesome. We had 99 people come and we would all celebrate because we had all these people. And then you might have another gathering where not that many people come and one person answers an altar call and gives their life to Christ. And you're like, well, it's okay. One person got saved, I guess. That's okay. Whereas Jesus goes and says that there is more joy in heaven over that one person, over one rather than 99 people who don't need repentance, who are righteous, who are serving him. Like that's how much God cares about the lost. And so over one person. So don't discount the importance of one. So go make a difference in someone's life today, even if it's only ever one person. Don't look at people like a statistic for you never know what God can do through your impact on the life of just one other person. Ananias's life might have not looked like much of a success because as far as we know, he only ever prayed for one person, but it just so happened that that one person became the apostle Paul. So with that, I thank you for tuning in to this episode of the without exception podcast. I pray that this episode has been edifying to you and that it is something you can put into practice in your own life. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and share it with others. 
If you are listening on Apple, I would love it if you would leave a review. It helps with the exposure of the show. That said, I pray you have an awesome week, and until I see you next time, let's live out our faith each day without exception.